afternoon all. If you don't know me, my name is Adrian. I'll be taking us through this next part of our gathering. And in this, as Mike alluded to just a minute ago, we're kind of concluding a series we've been in entitled Formed in Prayer. And with that, that the whole premise behind it was this understanding that as followers of Jesus, or maybe you're looking in thinking, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? Well, one of the key parts of us seeking to pursue Jesus is that we get to be involved in this activity and this life-giving aspect of prayer. Uh, It's something that actually you see in terms of Jesus on earth, that uh, when he was here, the one who'd always been part of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, spent time away praying to his Father. It was a deep connection he had with him, and therefore, if that was true for him, then as followers of Jesus, it should be true for us, that we want to be those that are, are giving our lives to understanding what does it look like to know more of God as we seek to pray. However, we're also realists in Oasis, as we understand that sometimes prayer can feel hard. It can feel like something we, want, we aspire to, but can find ourselves getting disconnected from or kind of left with a sense of well, how do we really do this? And so we've been looking over the past couple of months at a prayer that Jesus gave us as a framework to allow us to enjoy all there is to have in this amazing gift of prayer. And so we've been looking at what's often entitled in the Bible as the Lord's Prayer, but we could use it as a prayer that Jesus gives us as his followers to use as a framework as a community in our pursuit of who he is. And what we've discovered is this prayer gives both a practice that we can use daily, but also as we live in that practice, it gives us... um, a way to live our lives out of it. And so it not only kind of gives us something to say, it also defines then how we live. And we've seen that week on, week out. And as I said, at this moment we get to the end of the prayer, and I don't know how you end things. Um, I spend a lot of my time at the moment uh, with my children doing their homework. And one of the things that often comes up is stories that they've got to write. And it reminds me of the stories I wrote as a child. And I often tell them this story in order to show them how not to do things. And generally, I wrote stories in which I got carried away. I, my imagination was vivid. And I imagine myself, immerse myself in the story using all the limitations of the English language and adding my own words to enable me, that I still do, to express things that needed to be expressed. However, towards the end of my story, I'd always get slightly bored and would want to end it quite quickly. And so I always ended in the same way. And the ending always went like this. And then I heard my mum say, Adrian, Adrian, it's time to wake up. And I realized it had all been a dream. And I went and had my breakfast. And I still, to be honest, end my stories like that. And so when I made up stories for my children, I'd always get bored towards the end and say, and then they remembered it was all a dream, and that was the end. And what we discover is that as Jesus ends this prayer, he doesn't end it blandly, he ends it dramatically. He ends it in a way of saying, actually, everything that I've been calling you to pray through has led to this moment, which as we're going to go on to see in a moment, is, is a moment of saying, God, I ask, would you lead me in our lives? Would you lead me in all I'm going to do today? Would you lead me from this point on? And we're going to discover that's both an individual prayer but a corporate prayer of, God, would you lead us? You see, Jesus has started off with that point of saying, hey, we're in the intimacy of relationship with God that we approach as Father. From that moment of understanding God is our Father, we realize what kind of a Father he is, where he's the God of the universe, the one who is above all and beyond all. 
and yet we know him, and who's longing for his rule and reign to be revealed throughout the whole of the cosmos, as well as in our lives. And that as he does that, he wants to be one who seeks to provide everything that we need. And then within that, there's a desire that not only that we understand daily his provision, but also live knowing we're those who know forgiveness and show forgiveness. In order that we can get to this point that Jesus wants to, that we say, and therefore, God, in light of all of you, all of who you are, I ask, would you lead me? Would you lead us? So with that all in mind, we're just going to read through these familiar verses to us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And I, I think we're going to read it all together just because we've kind of done this a number of times. I think it's just helpful to just keep plugged in. So it'll feel slightly embarrassing because we think, is everyone going to join in? They will do if we all decide we're going to. I get to three. When I get to three, if we all start at verse 11, that'd be very good. So, or verse 9, sorry. One, two, three. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're going to zoom in on that verse 13 and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want us to see that this is a prayer of saying, God, would you lead us? And what we can discover in asking God to lead us, it's part, I'm going to break it down in three different ways. One is it is about being led. The second thing we're going to see is it's about being strengthened. And then finally, we're going to see that it's about being rescued. And so to start us off then in terms of being led, if I was to take you on a tour of Birmingham, and so I was your tour guide for the day, and I said, I'm going to lead you. If I start off by saying, I'm going to lead you by telling you all the places I'm not going to take you. And so I'm not going to take you to um, the dodgy areas of Birmingham where you might get mugged. I'm not going to take you to the places where I know you could buy drugs. I'm not going to take you to Lifford Lane Recycling Plant so you don't have to see where all the rubbish goes. I'm not going to take you to Kings Heath High Street because it's a very depressing place. And if you live in Kings, I knew I, this morning, to be honest, I said this, and there was this whole booing reaction. And I was like, man, touched a nerve there. Like, Kings Heath, it, it, like we used to, as a family have this song about Kings Heath when we first moved up, is that it always seems like everyone's depressed there. And so we used to sing a song of, can you spot anyone smiling? And so as a family, we said, can you spot anyone smiling in King's Heath? Can you spot anyone smiling in King's Heath? And generally, the answer was no. And um, we'd then smile to see if we could say to everyone, hey, there's something worth smiling about. Um, but um, there we go. So if I said that and I said, right, the tour involves all of these things that I'm not going to take you to, and I say, and that's it, you then think, well, this isn't much of a tour. This isn't really you leading us anywhere. Surely there's something that you are going to lead us to. Surely there's somewhere that you are going to take us to. And in the same here, I think, is implicit in where Jesus starts in this prayer. Where he says, lead us not into temptation. You see, we could quickly jump to the second part, which is not into temptation, and say, yeah, what we're praying is, God, would you lead me not somewhere? But actually implicit in this is not only would you leave me not somewhere, would you lead me somewhere? 
And we need to start off in that point that what Jesus is encouraging us to do is say, God, would you lead me? Would you lead me in my life? So where is it that God's wanting to lead us? Well, to quickly help us, let's look at Romans 8, where it says this. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 15, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So when we're saying, God, would you lead us? We're actually saying, Holy Spirit, that's living within me, would you lead me into knowing more of what it means for me to be a child of God, for God to be my Father, and to experience more of what it means for God to be my Father? To understand more and more today of what it means that my Father in heaven delights in me, unconditionally loves me. That's what we're praying. We're saying, Holy Spirit, lead me into knowing and experiencing more of the Father's love, acceptance, and delight. Which is quite phenomenal. See, what a place to start off with. See, so often we get caught up in, actually, I'm going to get on and do stuff. And as we're doing stuff, it's that that then defines us. And yet Jesus continuously wants to bring us back, saying, no, no, where you get defined is in your relationship to who God is. And God himself is wanting to lead us more into that place because it's as the Holy Spirit is bringing us more into the knowledge of who we are in relation to the Father and experiencing who we are in relation to the Father, we then can live out the rest of our lives. We live from that place continuously understanding everything I do is out of that place of understanding I'm more loved and delighted in and accepted than I could dare to believe by the one who hung stars throughout the universe. That's the kind of father. And suddenly it changes how we live in the day that we're facing. So firstly, it's about being led and praying, Holy Spirit, lead me today. Lead me into knowing more and more of who I am as a child of God. First thing. Second thing then, it's about being strengthened. Because Jesus does say, lead us not into temptation. Let's be clear here. What it's not saying is that God could lead us to sin. God's never going to do that. God's never going to lead you to a place of sinning, falling out and outside of his best for us. He's never going to do that. Therefore, what is Jesus pushing us to? Well, that word temptation can mean that, and temptation, as we're going to see in a moment, isn't wrong in itself. It's not wrong to be tempted. It's how we act out of that temptation. But that word temptation can actually mean either temptation or trial. Trial, in other words, that stuff happens and how are you going to respond to the stuff that happens? And Jesus says, look, this world is going to have stuff happening. There's going to be temptations there that are enticing you to go outside of God's best for your life. Therefore, pray that the Father would strengthen you by leading you away from those things. And so that's part of his prayer. Would you lead us away from this? But also, Jesus is a realist. If you were to look at the rest of the gospel, you'd find that Jesus says, man, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Now, that's a verse we don't love talking about, isn't it? Jesus, you know, light of the world, easy yoke, light burden, in this world, you'll have trouble. But he says, but the world won't defeat you because I'm with you. You need to understand that we will face temptation but God the Father has strength for us in it. And so if we look then at 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, 
Paul writes this, you see, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We don't understand that God will provide us strength as we face temptations, as we face things that are pulling us out of God's best, in order that we can say, no, he'll literally provide an exit door. As I could tell you a story, I could tell you a story of when I wasn't employed by Oasis, I was employed in a different uh, organization, and in a, I was in probably an 80% female workforce, like phenomenal work environment, got on well with everyone. It was just amazing. Amazing banter, amazing fun, amazing productivity. But within it, we all related, and I was good friends with lots of people, and we were out one night, a Friday night, and we'd been out, and we'd gone for a meal, we'd been to the pub, and as we were at the pub, I suddenly realized, oh man, I was meant to do something in the office, I was meant to set the alarm, and I hadn't done that. Sounds a very trivial thing, but it was an important thing. And I knew I'd got to go back and do this. And as I'm saying to everyone, I'm gonna, I'm, I think I need to go and do that. One of the girls that I was friends with just saw me and said, hey, Adrian, do you want me to come with you? And in the way she said it, I knew it wasn't to set the alarm. And at this moment, I was engaged to who is now my wife, Lucy, and I'm there sat thinking, I wasn't expecting this. And I literally had a physical door that I could go through. The question was, wasn't I going to go through the door by myself or was I going to go through the door with this girl? And so what I chose to do was to go through the door by myself. And I said to everyone else, hey, I'm going to go now by myself. Thank you for the offer, but I would not like you to come with me and I'm going to go and set the alarm. And that's what I did and that's where that bit ended. And there's a whole load of other story that went on with that one. We'll leave that for a moment. And in that, temptation can be like that. You can face it, and it literally is a decision like a door. It was for me. I physically walked out of a door, closed it behind me, and said, no, I'm not choosing that way. And it's that easy. God always provides an exit. But the deal is, and we can look at it and say, oh, well done, Adrian. But the deal is that sometimes I don't take the door. I can look at other things, I don't know, that I feel angry. Let's just look at the last 48 hours. I get to a point I feel angry. I feel angry of some injustice that's been done to me, injustice that wasn't right, and so I rightly feel anger. But rather than taking the exit door, which is now give that anger to God and don't sin, I rather think, mm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to take that door yet. Actually, I'm going to fester on this. I'm going to cause everyone else to know in my household that I feel a bit angry. And in it, in that moment, I suddenly realized, man, the temptation was there and I didn't push the door open and go through in order that I wouldn't act on the temptation. Rather, I've acted and ended up going outside of God's best for me. At that point, it doesn't mean that suddenly all the doors close and man, you're smacked down, Adrian. No, remember, it's the bit before this that suddenly it's, oh yes, you're still the one who comes and offers me forgiveness. A forgiveness I never deserved a forgiveness I joyfully receive. And for some of us, we need to understand that as we face temptation, we know that actually we didn't go out the exit door that God provided. We rather were enticed and acted on the temptation. And for us, I want us to understand that it isn't that we've blown it, it's rather that God patiently waits for us and says, hey, 
My strength is with you to offer you forgiveness. Will you receive it? And for some of us tonight, I want us just to receive that, to say, actually, I receive your forgiveness. I want to keep, continue to now live taking the exit door. And I don't know what it is for you. I know what those things are for me. I've just told you one of them, but I don't know if it's what you watch. I don't know if it's what you read. I don't know if it's what you drink. I don't know if it's the relationship that you've got with someone that no one knows about. That moment that you felt tempted and you know you've acted on it. And for you, I'd say, well, man, if you were in that position, don't get trapped. Receive forgiveness and get out the door. So that's the first thing in terms of how we're getting strength as we face temptations. It also say then it's also as we face trials. This is a perplexing verse, a mystery verse, and yet it's there because there's a reality of it. Where James writes this in James 1 verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The, the reality is this, stuff will happen. Stuff will happen in your life, stuff is happening in my life. It might be to do with your health, it might be to do with employment, it might be to do with your recovery, it might be to do with a relationship. Stuff happens. And in those moments, as we're in the crucible of stuff happening, it becomes a moment where we're able to lean into the Father and say, would you give me strength to persevere this trial? Because we don't have to do it by ourselves. And not so much just persevere to know joy within it. And so my friend Vince, who's on the front row, who will always agree with me, which is always nice. He doesn't always. Sometimes he does question me. He don't, he's not a yes man. But in it, he's very vocal in his agreement. But what I love about Vince is he lives in a crucible of trial. A crucible of trial of living with cancer. And in it, what it does is as cancer tries to squeeze him and the trial that he's on, it actually produces Jesus and more of him and more enjoyment of him. And for me, Vince then becomes this supreme example of what it looks like to say, actually, I know I'll face trials and yet, Father, you have strength for me. As I know, like two Mondays ago, Vince is telling me the story of like the latest prognosis he's got. And I can see he's processing it as we're talking. And then he says, but I know the Father has strength for me. And I'm like, wow. God, would I respond like that? I can then tell you stories about other people. To be honest, I can't name them because it, it wouldn't be quite right. But I can tell you stories of other people who are like my heroes and heroines. And they're the individuals who struggle with mental health. And they're struggling with grappling with uh, issues that they're facing. And yet they don't decide to isolate. Rather, they make decisions and say, hey, even in this trial of me battling with this thinking or this oppression, I'm going to still step forward and find strength in God. And for me, I, I find it breathtaking of knowing these individuals who choose not to isolate, but to say, no, I'm going to cling on to God and find him in this place. Because there are those that have learned to say, yeah, lead us not into temptation, but also that means the trials when they come, I know, Father, you'll give me strength. 
See, it then becomes this prayer that lead us not into temptation is firstly, spirit, would you lead me into understanding and experiencing more of who the father is and who I am as his child. Then it becomes this invitation to pray and Father, I ask, would you give me strength as I face temptations to walk through the doors you provide? And would you give me strength as I face trials to endure them and know your joy throughout them? And then lastly, Jesus says, we're also going to know rescue. And in it, Jesus kind of ends there. And you feel like a prayer, man, if you're going to end it, surely it should have ended with, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus doesn't end there. He ends with this, deliver us from evil, or that word evil could be translated either evil or the evil one, the origin of evil. And evil is that way of doing something, acting in a way that either does us harm or others harm. That's ultimately what evil is. We can dress it up and, you know, hammer horror has kind of made this whole thing of that suddenly it should feel like the lights start to flicker and it's evil. And that evil is literally the stuff that does us harm and harms others. It's destructive. And there is an origin of one who is seeking to destroy because he's trying to usurp God and we'll come on to him in a moment. He doesn't get a lot of airplay because I don't feel he needs it and shouldn't be given it. But we'll get to the devil in a moment. But in it, in terms of this prayer, the deliverance part is, is actually a word that you could translate as rescue. Now, as a family, we used to, we'd love being in the sea. Uh, we've kind of ended up finding ourselves in a home of a city that is the furthest point we could possibly be from the sea, but we try and make our way to the sea as much as we can because we love being in the sea. I remember uh, talking to a friend of mine and he said, your unique selling point as a family. At that point, I thought this is a vastly different person to me because I've never thought we had a unique selling point. But he said, your unique selling point as a family is the quantity of time you spend in the sea. Because the reality is this, if we go down the beach, my kids will be in the sea for up to eight hours solid. We have to call them in to eat. And they come out as prunes and blue, but they just like love it. But one of the things, when we used to go to Cornwall, we went every year for about 10 years, is that you often found that within the sea, and as you're there, kids would be left. And I used to spend my time rescuing children who were being caught in riptides. And you generally get there, and I'm not making any kind of comments about their parents, but it was a busy beach, and you'd spend time both looking at my own kids, but then when I saw another kid being taken out to the sea and kind of looking like slightly panicky, I just thought, you know what, there's just a common humanity, isn't there, that you don't just then live, think, well, that's not my kid, it doesn't matter. You think, actually, I'm going to rescue that kid, and you, go, you kind of swim up, and you think, are you all right? And they're kind of panicking, going, I'm going to drown. He said, don't worry, I'll bring you in. And then you sweep them around and come into shore, and you say, there you go. And they go, oh, thank you, thank you, because they knew they were powerless. They had nothing they could do to get themselves out of the situation. They needed rescuing. And Jesus says, we need to live daily knowing we're those that need rescuing. I love how Peterson puts it in the message. He says this, he says, and Peterson, what you've got to understand, because I know some people don't really like the message, I love the message, is that he's trying to use the frailty of the English language to kind of get to grips with what the Greek is saying. And so he's using language that you and I might use to say, hey, this is what was being trying to be revealed through these words. And in it, he says this, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And as I read it, I thought, 
Oh, that's so good. Because actually, when we're thinking of evil, which is that could do us harm and others harm, actually, we need to pray for rescuing, not just against the devil, which we'll come on to, but actually it's often from ourselves. I think there's also another person. I think there's also others. That sometimes we can find, actually, we need to be rescued from both ourselves, others through either their brokenness or just their intent to do us harm, and also then from the devil, which we'll come on to. But let's start off here then, a rescuing of ourselves. I'd say that there are two moments when we are most at need from rescuing from the potential of doing things, doing evil that will do us harm or others harm. And that's either when we're feeling incredibly weak and vulnerable or when we're feeling incredibly overconfident. And so we feel like everything's going well. So if we start on this one in terms of when we're feeling weak and vulnerable, they can get that moment where it feels like we're just being oppressed. And in that moment of weakness and vulnerability, there's a potential we'll look to things or act in ways that actually feel like they're going to do us good, but actually ultimately are going to do us harm. And it's at that point of our weakness and vulnerability where you have to say, no, no, I, I need rescuing from this because I haven't got the power in myself to deal with this. So Jesus, would you come and rescue me because you've always been the one who can rescue me. But it's not only when we're vulnerable. Actually, I'd say for most of us, it's this one that we need rescuing from. When we've done something that we just think is good and we start to become overconfident. I know for me, that's the moment. I'm at my most vulnerable it's like a Genesis 1 moment where God creates and he says, and this is good, and this is good, and this is very good. And I have those moments, I think, man, look what I've done. This is good. In actual fact, no, this is very good. And I'm there thinking, what I've just done, what I've achieved, oh, this is very good. And in that moment of thinking, this is very good, suddenly I say something, I do something, that is the exact opposite of what was good. I've like suddenly done something that causes me to either do harm to myself or harm to others. And it's like that vulnerability of suddenly thinking, I'm invincible. I've forgotten, oh no, I'm a frail, fragile human being who's continuously in need of rescue. And so in this moment, as we're praying, deliver us from evil, we're actually saying, Jesus, rescue me from myself. Rescue me from myself when I'm feeling weak and vulnerable in order I know that you're always the one who can save me. I'm like a kid that's stuck in the riptide. But also, would you rescue me from myself when I get overconfident? Because in the same way, I'm just like a kid stuck in the riptide. But it's not just from ourselves, it's also from others. The truth is this, there are just some people who because of their brokenness or because of their intent, want to do us harm. And if you like, this like links into what we looked at a couple of weeks ago in the prayer of Jabez, is that we need to be those that come and say, God, would you rescue me from those who want to do me harm? Those who want to do evil to me. And we can think, man, should I really be praying that? Oh yeah, definitely. Because Jesus knows there are people like that who want to do that. So we ask, Jesus, rescue me from this situation. Maybe at this moment, we're in a situation where people are seeking to do us harm. I think the beauty of living in this nation is in generally it isn't to do with physical violence towards us. 
It's often, though, to do with our reputation and how people speak about us. And sometimes it's not us arguing and trying to defend ourselves. It's actually saying, getting back on our knees and saying, Jesus, would you rescue me from this situation? Because Jesus is the only one who can. And then lastly, I'd say, it is a rescue from the devil. We see the reality is this. Scripture's pretty clear from the very beginning to the very end. There is one who's seeking to usurp God of his authority. One who continuously wants to cause those that bear his image to fall short and to not enjoy the life that God has ordained for them to have. And scriptures talk about it and says that it's the devil. And we can dress the devil up in many different ways. The worst thing we can do is pretend he doesn't exist because he really likes that. But the reality is that he is one who is actively against us because he wants us to not live in the freedom and joy that the Father has for us. And so the writer Peter, one of Jesus' followers, puts it like this and says, hey, I don't want you to pretend that the devil isn't there. I don't want you to pretend and think that the devil has no power. No, he says this in 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And this isn't a nice image. Like, have you seen a lion? They're not like creatures that you want to rush up to and like scruff from the head and go, ooh, you're nice. The lions are massive, powerful creatures whose paw can literally break a man's skull or woman's skull. I remember one of the two, my two scariest films I've ever seen. One is a Disney film called Watchers in the Wood, still haunts me. The second is Ghosts in the Darkness, which is a film that tells the true story of two man-eating lions that were kind of prowling around Kenya. And I remember watching it, age 23, 24, in a small rural town called Bedford, with a friend of mine at night. We're watching this film, and it was scary. Just these lions in the darkness that would come out, because lions hunt in dark, and would kill people. And you just see these people being dragged away. And it was, it was awful. And I'm walking home that night, having watched this film, and genuinely believed that through round every corner, along every alleyway, there was a potential a lion was going to kill me. I just thought, I'm sure no one's known, but they've got out and they're after me. There is something about a lion that is scary, and it isn't that we're to be scared of the devil, but we're not to think that he's someone we can take on. He's one that prowls around the edge, trying to take us out. Which then means, if he's at the edge, we need to be in the center. And understand that at the center is a deep understanding that we are now intimately connected to the one who can rescue us, who has power and authority over everything, including the devil. So we don't talk lots about him because we don't need to fear him. Why? Because we know Jesus. And here's the remarkable, marvelous truth about Jesus. At the point at which he looked like he was weak, his weakest point, his death on a cross was the point of him bringing the greatest victory over all darkness. In order that when we sing songs like Jesus, Jesus, the name of Jesus, the darkness trembles because that is the reality now. Because of who Jesus is, the devil trembles. He's defeated. He's an enemy that we can be rescued from because of Jesus. But Jesus says, don't take it for granted. Keep praying to me and saying, Jesus, rescue me from also the one that seeks to do me harm. See, this last part of this prayer, 
becomes this moment of saying, we're formed in prayer to, God, would you lead us? Becomes then a prayer within a prayer, a prayer to the triune God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. In order that we then get to pray, if we go to the, last, the second from last slide, it's an invitation to pray to the Holy Spirit, lead me into more of the life Jesus has for me. To the Father, that we get to pray, Father, would you strengthen me today in the trials I'm facing? And then to Jesus, Jesus, would you rescue me from myself, others, and the devil? And what a way to end this prayer. But this is the end of this series. And one of the things I didn't want us to leave with is a sense of, well, okay, we've done the Lord's Prayer, let's carry on. No, no, the point of this is in order that it shapes how we live daily, the practice of prayer. And so what we thought it'd be great to do, and these just get passed around now, is just to give us something to take away that allows us a moment of daily taking this card, putting it somewhere where we're actually going to look at it and read it, and use it as a moment to pray through the Lord's Prayer, through the prayer that Jesus gives us, in order that we can use it as a framework that allows us to see the joy and strength there is to be found in this amazing call to prayer. And so my encouragement is, over the next month, within all the varieties and joy that Christmas has to bring, as well as all the precious the pressures of trying to get the right stuff and the numbers of invitations or trying to deal with family, all of that stuff, is that also daily we take time to like give ourselves to praying this prayer that Jesus has given us to pray, knowing that as we do it, it will do us good in our practice and it will shape us in how we live. So that's how we're going to end today, an A5 sheet bit of card that I think will do us good. Otherwise, we're done. Thank you very, very much.